Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. So Jeff, so like, how do you juggle all the things? I, I mean, I did research on you and it's like pretty active on all three fronts on archive, HVMN, um, and the fund, anti-fund. Um, Tell us more about each one and, and how you, you split your time between all of them. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me on the program. Um, look, I, I'm i just really curious about so many different things. And I think the best way to learn and pique that curiosity is building at the very, very front. So um, with, and I think there's like actually a very interesting like line that connects all of these different interest areas. Well, it, at service level look pretty dis disconnected. So uh, it started coming up archive, archive.com. And we see this business, I think especially relevant to this audience as a way to rethink marketing. Um, customer acquisition demand generation has been one of the hardest challenges for direct to consumer e-commerce companies. Usually just generally forever, right? It's always like, okay, you make a product and once you have a product, it's like, how do you get customers coming in? And I think a lot of us have gotten complacent with run paid social, do CRO, and then pray your CAC LTV equation works. And I think if you were smart, you realize that strategy does not, didn't really work probably two, three years ago, or was starting to become less profitable two, three years ago. And I think finally, with Facebook's recent earnings report, where they actually saw contraction in revenue for the first time, yeah. Um, people are like, okay, like this is not profitable for a lot of people. So if that was a secret in the industry, I think it's like a more and more open secret at this point where it's like, yeah, like most people's paid social programs don't work. Yeah. So, um, that realization in terms of a lot of the ideas behind archive, which we think is our approach towards a first principles, look at what marketing should be, which is really just getting actual community members, actual customers talking about your brand organically, authentically, as something that as performance or digital marketers, we lost that muscle. So what does it mean in 2022, applying all the tools, all the automation tools, some of the Web3 concepts into marketing, uh, if you could have like fresh rails and fresh automation. Mm -hmm. um, and where I learned a lot of these insights was through uh, this company, HVMN, where we were a ketone performance drink company. So became a military contractor, working with special operations command, working with a lot of athletes. Uh, but our primary channel was selling stuff online. Yeah. And we were playing that CAC LTV game and I've generated tens of millions of dollars, probably spent tens of millions of dollars on different ad spend and built a lot of battle scars 
of okay, this kind of worked, this didn't work. Um, this was really unfair, and then that arbitrage disappeared. Um, so I think just from our roots as very metrics or very quantitatively driven, study computer science at Stanford, I think we saw the early signs of some of those equations not really working two years ago. So a lot of the effort went to building community, build, working with influencers in, in, in smart ways and, and all the things that we've created into a software product with, with Archive. Um, so I think Archive and HVMN, the ketone drinks company, I think it has been hand in hand in terms of really being just like really fun because I get to like see very intimately data of like one specific instance of a direct consumer brand and company and just really understand the operating margin, contribution margins, really understand like what was best in class. And then on the e-commerce enablement side, like being able to build the, the e-commerce stack that I wanted to exist. And then just being able to do both simultaneously, I think is one could argue distracted, but I like to think that I have really great business partners in teams where I feel like I'm just like empowered to just like learn super fast. Um, and then on the investing side, I've just been lucky to just been able to invest in friends over the last five, six years. Um, I just uh, like, I, I'm sure like since you went to Harvard, a lot of mutual friends and was lucky enough to invest in uh, Ramp, which oh, yeah. was, uh, came out of Harvard. Eric. Eric yeah. Lyman, Krimatia. Yeah. Um, I went to a high school summer camp with uh, one of the founders there, we became fast friends, backed their first company sold the capital one, not like, it was like one of my first angel investments ever and like my first return of capital ever. So I had to like throw in more money for the yeah. seed round of ramp and now it's market 8 billion yeah. um, and a number of other unicorn friends that I've been lucky to participate along the way. And uh, I had the opportunity to start a rolling fund. And I think we've all are kind of recent Miami transplants mm -hmm. and I was visiting a friend in Miami in January 2021, where I'm originally from California, born and raised in Los Angeles, and then building a career in Silicon Valley for the last 10 years. And SF treated the pandemic very, very seriously. So like I was in that mindset, like I thought I was gonna literally move to a ranch on Montana. So I spent a lot of time <laughs> in Montana, like hang out with the, friends who are like former Green Beret shooting guns and be like, all right, I'm going to be like hunting and fishing and have my little ranch and uh, beam around and like do business online. And one of my friends named Zach, uh, he's like, hey, I'm renting a suite. I have extra bedroom. Come hang out. And I and Eric, uh, the, the CEO of Ramp was there too. And I literally start seeing like all these VCs like coming to like learn about ramp and like so excited about ramp. I'm like, wow, um, capitalism is on. People are doing business. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And then like athletes are coming like different Miami Heat players and like a lot of like my LA friends who are like in the nightlife or influencer scene were coming out and like a lot of people from New York. Um, so it was like a very interesting mix of people that like I think everyone was tired of being shut, shut down and locked down. And it was like, okay, very interesting energy. Um, and then 
So I, I, I see like ramping, like, oh man, I gotta like figure out how to invest more money in this thing. Yeah. Like I'm seeing the deals getting like concocted, right? Like I see- You saw like, it happening. Like I just in, saw it yeah. happening. I saw like all the name brand VCs, like all, all the, you know, crossover hedge funds, you know, like the name brand folks. I'm like, oh wow, like I gotta like figure out how to like get more exposure, get more allocation here. Um, so that prompt me, prompted, so I know some of the folks at AngelList, I'm like, hey, like this rolling fund thing was a new contract, right? So basically quarterly subscriptions and really easy paperwork to stand up these investment vehicles. And hey, like I want one, like what do I, what, what do I gotta do to get one? They're like, hey, like cool, you, like we'll approve one for you. And that, that was like probably like, you know, on a Monday and then on like a Thursday, I show up at a at a tech party at Kygo's manager's house, my friend Miles, um, and like I was talking to one of the hosts, and Jake Paul walks in, and at the time he was trying to pick a fight with Conor McGregor, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Conor McGregor is actually a big customer of our ketone drink, and I was like, hey, this guy's funny, like I saw his video like trolling Conor, so I was like, hey, like by the way, if you want to fight him, you should like we should talk about human performance. And then long story short, we just hit it off. I think we actually realized we had a ton of mutual friends, a lot of just mutual interest. And he's been interested in angel investing and being very early in tech for, you know, moving to LA, moving to Hollywood when he was like 17, 18. I think like he has a funny story where his first like influencer deal, he made like a few hundred bucks yeah. and he put all that into Bitcoin back in 2013. <laughs> so like, Best I think he got the bug God. early. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was like, hey, like, so he told me he had three goals that year. Wanted to fight three times, wanted to do the splits. I'm not sure if he can still do the splits, but maybe we should check in. And then he wanted to do a VC fund. And I had already put some of this stuff in motion with the rolling fund. And it was just like really fortuitous timing and, and, and alignment. And we're like, hey, let's, let's rig and go. And anti-fund was born. That's amazing how it lined up just because of serendipity, right moment, right time, more so than just because it's somebody that like someone told them that he should just partner with you or something. Um, I love that. Yeah, I think that like a lot of the times if the interest isn't there, you can't like pull it out of thin air. Cause I know like working with creators, a lot of people are like, oh, if I could just get the creator to do this or that, whatever we could. But at the end of the day, they're like, they have their own goals, ambitions, and everything else. And I think what you hit on that's so important is like you found the alignment. He already had the goal of like, yo, I want to get into VC. And you guys just already had that aligned instead of like going and approaching a random creator who doesn't like, doesn't have the interest there. And if you try to like hunt him down and be like, hey, we're going to start this VC fund. If the interest isn't there, like it's, it's just not there. Yeah. I think it's really like a co-founder relationship for like, as you're selecting business partners, I think I've learned very early in my career, uh, you don't pull people along for the ride. Like if you're pulling people, like they're gonna get off that wagon, right. right? Like you need people that are gonna die, bleed, and sweat in the trenches with you. Like it's hard, it's not glamorous. Like you gotta build some real shit, mm -hmm. and like you can't. You like you're already fighting your own demons and battles. You can't be pulling your your guys with you or your gals with you. Like they gotta be, you, they gotta be coming and like charging with you. So I think you just learn really quickly. Yeah, that's that model is not going to work. Yeah, and all th all three things, whether it's HVMN, uh, the fund, or archive, they're all businesses in their own right. So they 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 aren't things where 
you you just like show up one day and no they require a ton of work and effort from everyone involved and like you're saying you can't just pull people along and expect that that to happen so when i looked at hvmn and i went over your guys like it seems like you guys have a variety of skews and, and diversity and skews whereas like you know um some cpg uh companies like they don't have such an expensive like amount of skews um in their early days and uh i've always found that you know building software like so different because the product has to constantly be evolving um but not doesn't have to be that way in cpg however you have made it that way with so many different SKUs. so i'm curious like how is it different to run say a software company in the early days where like you're, you might still be in discovery phase and i don't know exactly at what stage archive is in but like what have been sort of like the main differences even though you're essentially you know building both from the same learnings um like what are the main differences between those two i think the biggest difference or the one of the hardest things with consumer especially cpg is that like the iteration feedback loop is much longer right like you're dealing with atoms it's like and coming from like a software or computer science background like very uh, yeah I, I think it's like how do you like I think, and I think this is what the great CPG companies do. How do you get the feedback loops tighter and tighter where you can be more digital in terms of like representing and collecting data? Um, so where in software, you can do like four shots on goal a month. In CPG, you can like maybe user test like four times a year. Right. So I, I've come to a spot where like, I'm not smart enough to like predict what works, but like give me enough shots on goal and like hopefully I learn quick enough, I can like get to what the right answer is really, really quick without without burning too much money, mm -hmm. right? And maybe over time you get smart enough where you can like skip some of the failures. Mm -hmm. So I think the thing when you think about consumer is, um, and, and but, but any, any kind of business, right? Like you need to make, I think like, I'm just like thinking like the YC Paul Graham quote, make something people want. Mm -hmm. And then, but I think like the, like an important thing, especially in this day is, and, and hopefully you can make it and sell it for more than you made it, right? And I think it's very important with consumer to really think about unit economics and gross margins. Um, I mean, I don't know if I, like, look, I think one controversial statement is I think a lot of DTC e-commerce companies are walking zombies right now. Um, and that's because your CAC LTV is not as good as you think it is, I think people always send out blended CAC and blended LTV. That's a fake number, fake metric. And you and I think really what it ends up being is that you have some tight cohort that really loves your product and you don't really know how to scale it. And there's like a lot of inefficient spend collecting people that are trial or churn. And then maybe you jam it together and have a blended CAC LTV that kind of works and you flip it to investors and maybe you get out in public markets. And maybe that game could work when it's like full bull market, zero interest rates. Um, now, I think people should just be really, really thoughtful that, okay, interest rates are going to rise. Uh, inflation of just commodities and gas prices is gonna make your cost of running a business more expensive. And then, like you will really need to put up like real profitability. So I think when you think about building a consumer 
company, you really have to think about, okay, what does my gross margin look like? And then what is my unique way to acquire customers? So I think like the, because, so I think the consumer bar, I think it has to be really, really thought through. Yeah. Like, I, I think I learned a lot of, I made a lot of these mistakes building HVMN. So now like I literally have like probably battle scars that are like probably longer than what we want to talk about here about like each of those mistakes. Um, so th those are some attributes in terms of consumer. I think for software, you just start off with higher margin. So I think that's why like SaaS businesses, you know, usually are so nicely valued because like, okay, theoretically you write code once and you sell it a bunch of times. Like great, like 80%, 90% gross margin. You can mess up a lot and like still get away with it. But like if your gross margins are 50, 40, 30, someone like does a chargeback or someone like yeah. loses your thing, you're not profitable. So I think like all these like little like things that really hit your margin. That's like not super obvious from like the outside, but like it sounds like you guys all are intimately aware of like all these little things that add up and it's hard. It's hard. It's like very, very hard. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing is like the time. Why don't you talk, take us back to like the time you were starting HVMN, right? Because like you see all these D2C brands launching today and the landscape that you're talking about today is like very different than the landscape. It has like some pros, right? You have a lot more enablement available to use and a lot more like, you know, distribution that you can tap into. But like also back in the day, maybe less competition for D2C, probably harder to stand up in the beginning, create and differentiate a product. Um, but again, that like you were going into like Facebook's golden age of advertising, acquiring customers was cheap. Um, and you could, you know, you could learn cheaply. Whereas now there's like everyone and their mom has a D2C brand. They're starting up. There's more and more competition. If you're not doing subscription and you're handling returns and all this, it's like, it gets harder and harder. Right. So why don't you just paint the picture a little bit? Um, you know, what year are you starting HVMN? What's the landscape look like? And what were some of those learnings earlier? Yeah. So HVMN started uh, in 2014, where I was really into nootropics, like cognitive enhancers, and I saw like a Google trend of like just like high organic search, and I, at the time, was quite a decent coder. So I coded up a little landing page and on Ruby on Rails, had my own little like waiting list to acquire some customers, posted a couple places, and got. I think it was like 34 orders and like a thousand dollars of like book revenue. I'm like, okay. And it was like in a couple of days. I'm like, okay, I like sold a thousand dollars of vaporware. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go like fulfill it. And that just like that that literally is like the start. And it's like got us down that journey of like becoming an e-commerce merchant. So it was like tickling uh interest in biohacking, human performance. Um like at the time I had started a mobile location tracking company for mobile. Uh, built some patents around it, sold that company to Groupon, was hanging out at Groupon doing a, um, like early, early wallet um, point of sale stuff. So there was like a Groupon program called Merchant OS, which basically lost the square. Um, anyways, let's own a little saga there. So was like, hey, had a lot of free time to experiment with biohacking, human performance, all, all that interesting kind of weird edgy stuff. Um, and that journey was like, to your point, like Shopify was not a clear dominant platform. We yeah. built our own actual e-commerce stack on Ruby on Rails. Yeah. So we actually had like quite a bit of like just high powered engineering. And I think I had like a lot of bias in terms of like 
you know, I'm a Stanford CS guy. We gotta have like, mm -hmm. we're hiring like a bunch of like hardcore engineers, and then realizing that hey, we're running like an e-commerce site. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, like all that like energy needs to be like focused on like product and marketing, right? And like again, like you all like your like all my friends working at Google, Facebook, or like VC, right? And it's like oh, like I gotta like not think about the prestige, but actually think about like solving problems for our customers. They don't care about like how cool our e-commerce stack was. Yeah. They care about like, does the product work and is it like get to them fast? And is it like a cool user experience? And could, could I find more customers? Um, but I think what was good about that experience was really viscerally understanding um, and being able to customize all these like automation and workflow things that eventually um, I think all these companies kind of like figuring out like this whole category of e-commerce enablement, like well, we were enabling it ourselves. Like we were exactly. building all this stuff. So we're enabling our own e-commerce. So like in short, it's like I had like seven, eight years of like building all the software I wanted to like enable my own commerce. Yep. And then made the switch over to Shopify, Shopify Plus. Mm -hmm. Had um, one of my good friends uh, was the former CMO there. So just like ownership of their roadmap, got convinced to like just do the hard shift. And then I had a, like a very interesting vantage point to say, okay, here's what I generally understand of like the Shopify roadmap. This doesn't make sense to like build a lot of these same rails. Um, but there's some clear things that we had built in house yeah. and insights that we would want to build that does not exist on the app ecosystem. And I think a lot of it is uh, on the demand generation side. So I think when I look at the, e like a lot of when like the ideation with archive came together was um, just looking at the overall market, like e-commerce is going to be like dominant way people transact. Trillion dollars plus of spend going through e-commerce. And it's still like 20% penetration, right? COVID picked it up and it's come back a little bit down but there's gonna be trillions of dollars being transacted online. And there's this fundamental like components that need to exist, right? There needs to be like a cart, there needs to be payment rails. So, okay, Stripe is like a 100 billion, 200 billion dollar company. It's like a payment rail. Uh, Shopify is like, like a cart, but like other things on top of a cart, but it's basically like a cart thing. A couple hundred billion dollar uh, company. Um, you need some way to, uh, do loyalty, retention marketing. Well, you have email, Klaviyo, MailChimp, multi-billion dollar companies. You need to do some SMS stuff, attentive, um, multi-billion dollar company, maybe some omni-channel, right? So like basically each component of the e-commerce ecosystem, like were multi-billion dollar opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then it's like looking in, in the, I was like literally like going on the list, like, okay, um, there's all these fulfillment things like delivers, uh, ship Bob, raising tons of money. Yeah. Um, well, like returns, help desk, like they, they've all, they yeah, all have gorgeous, their own platform. Right? Yeah. Like the Shopify, Zendesk, boom, that's like a really successful company. So like literally every single, like the bundle, like there's a clearly like a debundling of this. And I think what I really, I, I came to a conclusion that there's gonna be just best of breed yeah. solutions for all of this stuff. And like these will all be multi-billion dollar opportunities. Um, and then one area that, again, like just going back to get around like community marketing was that we realized that, um, 
we felt like we were pretty good at marketing and, and, and doing that through like organic or authentic content. And a lot of like the fastest growing companies that we were friends with, like um, Halo Top the Ice Cream Company, um, Fashion Nova, um, they were like heavily doing like influencer community programs. But it's all done manually. Meaning with a that, lot of people and spending a lot of money doing it. Yeah. So they were hiring like teams of like 20, 30 interns, blasting people, gifting people, sampling people, getting content and like turning over and then upselling them to turn to affiliates and all that stuff. And I was like, huh, like we started doing this ourselves. And we're like, a lot of this is repeatable. A lot of this is like, we could automate. So that got us down the like early insights of what we were, were building with Archive. So how does, how does Archive, like what state are you guys at with Archive and like how does it like work? If I'm a customer, like how, how, like how do I approach it and how do I use it? Yep, so Archive is, uh, so we have two products. Uh, like the most accessible product is Archive app. Um, so it's basically the first Shopify app that automatically captures ephemeral content created by your community. So 80% of content that's created is ephemeral Instagram story and it disappears. And it used to be a very manual process to say, oh, like people tag me and in 24 hours it disappears. So literally there's like people, so like a lot of brands like don't even capture it. Cause like, they're like ah. yeah. it's just gone, gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever, like too busy. Yeah. And then like the more sophisticated brands are like, okay, this is like valuable. Uh, content one to repurpose as user-generated like content for ads yeah. or carousel, or um, just to even understand like what people are talking about, uh, like what are people what what kind of creative is like engaging for your for your customers. It goes um, to that that difference what we talked about the difference between software and CPG. It's like any chance you can get on CPG or like VDC to get feedback loops like use that right like if, if you can't get the feedback loops fast enough um through the product but here you have this opportunity and you're not making the most out of it and letting that content go away like people are reviewing products on the stories and there's really valuable data in there that's just not possible to extract 100 i think it's like it's like the humbleness right it's like like i'm not smart enough to like just i'm i can make the perfect product from scratch it's like and like I don't know if, like, how many people are, right? Like, <laughs> so it's just like, you gotta like use that as like nuggets to find truth. Um, so yeah, so we built like the first Shopify app to just automatically archive, hence save and, and, and identify every ephemeral piece of content that hits, that mentions and, and hits, your, hits your brand. So, you know, for like really big brands that we work with, we're, saving like tens, hundreds, like and they were training to hundreds of thousands of pieces yeah. of assets. Cause like, there's so much like buzz around some of these like yeah. great brands that are just very, very community driven. Um, so that's like a super easy way for almost like, and it's like a pretty easy freemium model. And um, we're gonna do a promo code, Jeff, G-E-O-F-F 100. So we'll just save a hundred assets for free every single month for you uh, with, that, with that promo code. Um, so yeah, like, I think it's like, like, I, like we really envisioned this to be just like, like, it should just be like a utility. Like, okay, people are mentioning your brand. Like you should, we should make it super easy for you to just like understand segment sort. We're doing some machine learning to identify and, and tag. So you can be like, okay, um, we're doing, 
like pumpkin spice latte for Halloween, or there's like a skew, you can make it really, really searchable. Cause like very quickly you have like a large database of content. Um, so excited about that product. Uh, we launched in late January. So about a couple months now, hit number one trending app in the Shopify app store. It's growing super well. So excited about uh, continuing to serve our customers there. And then for communities, uh, it's more of our enterprise product, but we're figuring out how to make it more accessible and more self-serve um, is kind of what we're talking about. Basically like the Fashion Nova or Halo Top, like how do you do all that like audit, like outbound manual creating your community by mm -hmm. talking to people, like DMing people? Mm -hmm. How do you turn that into uh, literally like a programmatic way to... Like a, ser a service that can like manage that whole workflow. That I mean, yeah, because otherwise all you really have is like slack and like i mean even for this podcast right like we have a fan base that we're just like not getting any information from and we when we look at like well how can we strengthen those relationships um it's really through twitter like that's really the only place that we have on the other place we look at is like slack um and so a lot of companies just do it through dms right like is that how like they you know one-on-one do things that don't scale kind of thing. But then eventually you do things that don't scale until you eventually have to scale it. And, and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I, we went through that, right? So like your DMs will get blocked if you get too much, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. people yeah. that are trying this will hit like literally a rate limit. Yeah. And then it's also like how, like you, you, you're the best social butterfly. How many, how can you manage a CRM of like 20, you can make 20, 50, even track 100 people. Yeah. Inside I mean, an Instagram DM inbox, it's exactly. impossible. So we're activating thousands of people per month, yeah. mm -hmm. right? So like we're some of the fastest growing consumer companies that are like super focused on community. We're powering a lot of like, and we're activating thousands of people per month. And you're using it with HVMN? Like you, I assume, right? Yeah. Like you, you, yeah, I mean, basically, how did you, you were, build, how did you build community with HVMN from the beginning? Like what was the first kind of layer of community that you built with HVMN? Uh, literally doing it manually. Yeah. Like, oh, Halo Top is doing this. Uh, Fashion Nova is doing this, mm -hmm. but they have like 30 people. Yeah. And they're like managing a bunch of like college interns. And I'm like, man, like, I don't want to manage like yeah, college interns. Fun. And then they, they're like, don't super care because they're getting paid minimum wage yeah. and like quality and it's like oh so it's like okay like that's not super scaling so like literally like okay you know hire like 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 great people but like they can't scale how to use software right like like can we be build a crm mm -hmm. so like we, i mean to yeah be super transparent like the very very first version we like it was like an air table with our database to like, and then and then we had like uh, all these kind of like hacks of all these different like things, and we're like, okay, this kind of this thing <laughs> kind of works. Yeah. And now we're like turning this into uh, something that like super works, and just building just bespoke infrastructure to yeah. support the scale. Yeah, and I think what you kind of mentioned earlier about, and I think it's super cool, like the fact that you started an e-commerce brand during the like after studying cs right like that may seem trivial and may seem like funny back in the day but back in the day the only people who would like really start these brands and go d to c at that time were people who would like maybe like raise a bunch of money and be like oh i have a new way to cut out this middleman and then they're gonna have to go hire like a dev team yeah. to go stand that up and build out their own stack 
and it didn't it wasn't until recently where like basically you can set up a, a store and integrate all these um different services without needing engineering really um to do it so like that was a massive competitive advantage and then having built in the stack knowing how to build software knowing how to build infrastructure i think it lines up um and i think it's like a really cool uh you know way to to get into like building out this workflow these different workflows that you're seeing and like turn those into a, a software service the thing is like as you mentioned earlier with like you know the fact that sort of it's not as easy now to run a dtc company off a spreadsheet like it was you know in the early days of, of facebook marketing and advertising so i think you know like what is the future it, it seems like the future of marketing for DDC is like we have to be okay with it being a loss like a lot less quantifiable um, with community like how do you start extracting how do you start quantifying the value of these communities and knowing that your marketing is heading in the right direction etc like what is the quantifiable future of marketing for yeah. DDC yeah I I, I wouldn't necessarily agree that it needs to be less quantifiable I think I mean, the trope of marketing is that like half your marketing is a waste. You just don't know which half. So like, and, and like everyone's smart, right? Like these CMOs that get paid big bucks and these, they all know that. Um, and I think attribution will be king. I, like you're talking to like the best, like fortune 50 brands that are constantly like, yeah, like we're not really trying to do more CPM spend. We're trying to do more like attributable spend. So I think that is like just like anyone that's a disciplined business operator or like a disciplined marketer is moving that direction. I think the question is, you know, who and what is building infrastructure to attribute that? Um, what are kind of the new metrics, right? Like who made up CPM, CP, like these are like, I don't know, I guess Google made up that, like this is like a reasonable thing to measure. So I think there will be, uh, potentially new metrics that are more tightly correlated with like net contribution margin that like adds to your bottom line. Um, and then two, I think, while I say, I would say that it is harder to launch an e-commerce brand per se, generally, because things are more competitive. I, I think to your point, I think it is easier ever to start. And I think you need to have a very good reason to start. Um, and like, I, I think where I think there's like a optimism or excitement is that I think more and more of folks of our generation and younger are going to have, there's like much more creative, much more entrepreneurial, they're building an audience, right? They might have like a podcast, like a business, maybe like a merch store, right? So I think there will be like, just like this mutual support of people within their community. Like I'm, I for sure would like buy like a sweatshirt or like a shoe from like a friend over like some big random corpo thing that I don't really have an affinity towards. So I think more and more of our generation and the future generations will want to be supporting friends. Mm -hmm. So when I'm thinking about consumer opportunities today, I think you need to either one, like have a community of people that really vibe with you that like got your back and like you're, have a real authentic like touch point with where you like they got your back right and then you build and you add value to them and you grow over time or two 
you really have to have like some technology differentiation, right? For our ketone drink, this IP came from a DARPA program. We did a, we have a six month dollar contract with special operations command. We got some real proprietary stuff behind this drink, right? So it's like, you can't, so like basically, like you need one or the other. You need like a really strong community base that you're building things for, or you have like a differentiated product. So I think what it means is that like, if you're doing Alibaba drop shipping flips, now the game's over, right? Like you can't, like, and I think a lot of people were, you saw that game probably in circa 2019, 2020, right? Like people like Ty Lopez were like selling, telling you how to do these like, like Alibaba flips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all gone now, right? They literally fucking, they, they, that yeah. does not work. Or you have so a all that stuff goes away. Yeah, or, or you have a distribution mode of the trust that you built with your community. It's like what Logan Paul did with Prime. Like he's literally worked his entire career to earn their trust to just launch something now and look at the insane distribution he's gotten right off the bat. But like he's had to earn their trust He's, he wasn't like coming out of the gate trying to do all this stuff. He literally like found the exact timing in his career to where he had earned the respect and trust from people, you know, with the boxing and all the things he's done and how it all just sort of came together. Yeah, at the he's right definitely, time. he's like literally like the archetype of category one. Yeah. And uh, like, he's become a friend and like, he literally is un like, unstoppable about yeah. like creating content and like and like really right. putting it out there yeah um been on some trips he's always got his prime he's like literally like for yeah. scuba diving he's like i like i don't i haven't scuba diving in a while but i'm gonna friggin have my prime with me bring the camera like just friggin like he's like literally like gonna risk like yeah. scuba diving and just gonna have his like prime his content there so like i saw just like kind of behind the scenes like yo like he like he's not just like he freaking is pushing it. Yeah. He's working yeah. it. And, and I think that's an, another thing that's really interesting is just the idea that like, if you're thinking about like launching an e-commerce brand um, and getting going, you have to like kind of identify like, what's my differentiation? Is it like, I have a massive community that I'm gonna be leveraged. So when I like launch a product to them, they're gonna like give me my first like wave of support and I'm gonna grow through that. Or like you're saying, like I have a literal technical moat that I've built where no one else can build it because I literally have it patented. So no matter what, like I'm going to be good. But like as you're starting out your brand, right, um, it's that's just something that's super important. It's like the why you're doing it and also like where are you differentiated? Where are you defensible and what kind of advantages do you have when launching an just another product? Exactly. Hey, you got you to gotta, you gotta realize, hey, are you one or two or both or neither? Yeah. And like understand, like you just got to be self-aware. Yeah. Yeah, that, it's funny that we brought up some references from like Paul Graham and everything because I feel like, you know, competition drives innovation and now we're starting to see more companies that are like, well, what problem are you solving? Or like, why do you exist? And we're starting to see that more in DTC as like back in the day, not necessarily like you just had to be, you know, with the, the first DTC something like, you know, I don't know, lamp company or something. And that was good enough um, to be a, a differentiator. And, and I also think it, it really depends on the the type of D2C product you're offering, right? Like, so if you're if you're an apparel brand, like people wear different clothes every day, you can shop from a bunch of different brands. Um, whereas if you're like something that's like super habit forming, like you are, like when you when you guys win an audience, like you're winning it for them for that habit, right? Like we've had a couple of people on the pod that are either doing stuff like in the coffee space or maybe in like the like 
like toothbrush oh. space or like toothpaste. And like when you when you are able to conquer a habit, like that's great. But that isn't something where it's you can just like your the consumer's switching it out all the time, right? Um, so that's another thing when for when you're launching a brand, it's like, am I going into something that like competition doesn't really matter because like it's just something that people are going to buy all the time, or am I going? into direct competition with something for a habit that only exists in this like one specific yeah, window. Yeah, the habit one I think is really cool. Um, what, how do you, so now, you know, given, given your, your firsthand experience on both ends, like how do you, what lens do you look at companies through um, when looking for an anti-fund? Like what is interesting to you? And you know, now that you've had companies in, in software and in CPG, like, what are, what are don't do's like, what are spaces that you're like, I would never do a marketplace or I wouldn't do a company that has an X or Y or serves an X market. And, and what are absolute like, yes, I'm super interested in that space. Yeah. Good question. Um, I think like when Jake and I, Jake Paul and I started anti-fun, I mean, the name itself connotes something where I think a lot of VCs. Yeah. So. I think Jake Paul and I resonate because I think we're both a little bit trolly and a little bit irreverent, a little bit punk rock. And I think it's, and I think we've obviously like very different scope, scale, and in, in, in areas. But I think in the world of tech investing, I think we, a lot of overlap in terms of our instincts and, and taste. Um, I think both of us see ourselves as founders, entrepreneurs, creators. And like, I have so many friends in VC that like look at businesses as assets and are almost like trying to self-actualize to someone else's business, right? Like I have so many junior investor friends who are like, oh, I got to take your board seat and I got to like put on my <laughs> LinkedIn and I got to like tell you how to run your company. Yeah, yeah. And like, I'm going to be cool because I'm going to be like on 10 boards and be an important person. And like, we're like a reaction against the, the commoditization of the art of building companies. Like, it's very much a craft. There's definitely principles in science, but I think end of the day, it's like a craft of, of building something. And when founders are in there, they're like busting their butt making that thing work um so like we called ourselves anti-fun to be very different from like your traditional uh investor um so a lot of like the ways we measure ourselves is like i i don't know if there's a lot of people say it this way but I, like one thing that like i want to popularize is like this idea of value add to dollar dilution ratio um, and again, if you think about the business model of venture capital, and I think because I was a recipient of this product, like, again, like all these experiences kind of compound, like, okay, I'm thinking about this as a recipient of the product. Like, what do I actually want as, as like a founder taking money from people? And then what are the incentives for them? And then you look at the business model for VCs, they get other rich people to give them money for them to invest. So they're really middlemen of like other people's money. And they get paid 2% to manage the money and 20% of carry. And then usually when you're at a big VC fund, there's a lot of partners. You might not be dealing with the CEO or the founder of the fund. You're dealing with a little junior partner. So maybe they own, say, 10% of the carry pool. So when they put 
a million dollars into your company, they're really 10% of 20%, which is 2%. So their 2% of a million is really $20,000. So their skin in the game for your business is actually 20,000, but they take up a million dollars of dilution. And I, and I really understood this because like when I was an angel investor, like, hey, like I'm probably making more off of Ramp than like the guy who like did the Reagan series, hey, cause like, like oh, that's all my money and like the math and like, oh, probably doesn't own that much of the carry pull the VC fund that put in like much more money because they think it all goes to the LPs who are like super rich billionaire people already. So I started thinking about like, oh, like what is the business model here? And it's like, hmm, I probably would rather get 50 awesome operators each for 20K that let, that for the same million dollars. Maybe I need a name brand to like kind of anchor and brand around, but like, I want to just say like awesome people on board. So I think those are a lot of my biases coming into being a founder. What's the product I wanted and what was the value out of great investors, okay investors, like just useless investors. And I think Jake had his experiences working with Hollywood business, all that stuff. And I think he had like a lot of the same instincts around like, oh, like most managers like just took money from him, didn't make him money. He's like, I don't like, you know, like, like his story is very much like, hey, like he didn't, he came up through like all these like self-owned channels. He didn't, he got fired from Disney Channel, like all that stuff, right? Like he built, like he's reinvented and created these platforms many, many times over and over again. So I think we had a shared uh, approach in terms of how we wanted to support the people that we backed. Um, so like how that affects is I think our, and so like, the way we kind of position is that, okay, um, the best investors for us, like always at your back. So we always got our founder CEO back. And then two, it's like, just make intros and like connect us with dope people that's not in our network. So I'm not gonna go solve your, I'm not gonna go fix your company. Um, like if I believed in you, cause I think you're the right CEO for the company. If I think you're screwing it up. All right, like I, I like I can, I don't know any, I, you know more than me. Like, I'm gonna try to help you, but I'm not gonna go like try to replace you or like tell, like get in there, right? So like, I really, we really see our roles like, hey, we have actually pretty complementary networks to like the traditional Sand Hill Road or Wall Street network, right? Like celebrities, influencers, founders, right? Like that's, that's our people. And I think that's actually super value add because you already got like, when you partner with like a name brand central road fund, you got like all the institutional connects and like what is incrementally value add when you're building out that cap table of people that support you. So we really think of ourselves as like, Hey, like we're doing all the social proof marketing, like viral moments, like complimenting network with celebrities, influencers, people of culture and imbue that into your business. Yeah. I I think that's such an important point in terms of like thinking about the allocation versus the value add, because like, you know, we're, we're both VC back founders and, you know, you're putting around together, you can only allocate so much capital and you have funds that are taking, you know, they say, oh, like we only want to, our minimum is like 500K or a mil or this or that. And you're like, wait, I have all these people who like, they want to come in with a smaller check and they like, they're really excited about what you're doing. They can make intros. They can actually have your back when you need them, that sort of thing. And I think that like where you guys are playing in terms of 
thinking about it in terms of like that value add versus dollars in ratio. That's something that more and more founders as they become like more savvy and capital becomes more commoditized are like really thinking about like how how can I have like real partners? So like my allocation, especially at the early stage, isn't getting eaten up by like, you know, a bunch of like middlemen at, yeah. at the end of the day. So I think that's. Yeah. And I think what I realized, too, is that like, OK, if the VCs got their money in, are they going to help you many more or less if it's four million, five million, six million, three million, seven? It's like, very like they're not thinking adds, about that, right? Their there's value a, add. Yeah. yeah, there's a diminishing return of that value add eventually because, as you said, once you get an institutional or good one, like you already okay, now you've got access to to the other ones, and there's only so much value to more institutional you know, VCs intros that, that you can get. And so like, what are, the, are there specific verticals that you guys are really interested in? Like specific markets yeah. um, and ones that like, you don't even want to look at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we, uh, like the three main buckets we're super excited about are uh, Web3 crypto, uh, digital health, uh, software infrastructure, e-commerce enablement. Um, but just like overall, just generally things that we think like are super cool in the future. Mm -hmm. Like I think like most, like Jake and I are the biggest LPs of our own funds. So it's a lot of our own money. Mm -hmm. So we really just treat it as like turbo scaled angel investing. Mm -hmm. um, so we just want to like back cool people that we like. And obviously we want to make money with you. Like, of course, like we're not the donation business, we're a venture capital business. Um, but hopefully like bending the world in a way that we think is like, like awesome like we want like if all things equal like let's make the world cooler yeah so what are, i know you mentioned e-commerce enablement and like web3 um so what are some interesting like concepts in like web3 or e-commerce enablement that like have got you guys like really excited about yeah um i mean just to, like date it right like we're like march 2022 um like we were pretty lucky cap catching a lot some of the bull run of uh last year like we invested in a bunch of metaverses early and that was like a, like i think it's like it was like you couldn't really miss if you allocated towards crypto yeah. um so i think we got very either lucky or good instinct timing like all of that um so it's they got through that experience got pretty sophisticated in terms of our our, our our outlook for this year where like, okay, the crazy returns probably will not be there this year because again, some of the macro, like no stimmy checks, yeah. like everyone was not a day trader anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like crypto was like new and shiny. Now I think it's like, okay, uh, people got to really get users now. Like you couldn't just raise and pump your token like to the moon just because like you want to pump it to the moon. Now it's like, okay, there's enough builders, real stuff that like you got to actually drive value to real people. So I think a lot of where we're looking now is, okay, um, what are some actual infrastructure pieces that need to exist to fully enable Web3? Um, so for example, I, I think we're interested in identity layers, right? Like, okay, it's great to have like 30 anime character addresses, but like probably there needs to be some way to have identity or KYC tied. The stuff will get more regulated. 
Um, there's like real money moving through the system. But how do you have an identity layer that, that keeps some of the benefits and the price the decentralization that Web3 promises while um, having not like literally KYCing through like a like an NFT marketplace, you gotta like put your social security number on there, yeah, yeah. right? Like I think there's a lot of things that are around the identity layer that like needs to be built. Um, I think a lot of people are excited about like metaverse games or it's like, okay, um, are there gonna be like a thousand metaverse games that are all worth, you know, billions of dollars maybe but more likely than not probably not or like it's hard for us to like necessarily like help and participate in all of them um but other like infrastructure plays um that will be like much more like software models or infrastructure models that power some of these metaverse projects um so you know we think like you know one of our portfolio companies is a company called alchemy um, they recently announced like a big top line sticker price, but you know, we went to Stanford with the founders and then we were able to invest in their series B. Um, so like things like that, I think are where we like to play where it's like, okay, we like the overall market. Um, if we have really, really strong conviction on a specific individual play, you know, we'll look at that, but in general, I like to play more infrastructurally. So along those lines, then you guys don't focus really on any investing in like D to C companies or, or is that something that you've done having been an operator and working in the enablement space? Or are you guys more focused just on infrastructure as it pertains to like the different categories? Yeah, I think we like generally to be on the infrastructure side. Um, I think just given uh, I mean, some of the natural questions on like just straight, straight consumer is that um, like we just need to be careful around like Jake being like back backdoored into being like your brand face, right? Like mm -hmm. we're pretty clear that we're a venture investor, mm -hmm. not like an ad platform. So I think when when it's, uh, so I think like that's just something that we just need to, we make clear like, hey, um, we're a venture fund um we support on the channels that make sense mm -hmm. but like we need to be just be real right like this kid makes a lot of money for like different types of sponsorships and stuff like that yeah i, I could see that you don't want to saturate the brand like just <clears throat> kind of putting the face or promoting all these you know i we actually my company raised from pharrell williams and it was that was the first thing we were told it's like we are investing we're supporting we're not a brand, you know, spokesperson, um, because I mean that's one way for a celebrity to to saturate um, their brand name for sure. Yep. Yeah. Look, because I think it's like, um, yeah, I, I think it's just like there's just like different market values, right? You just like literally look at like, okay, what what is the what is the type? And that's your value at too, right? Like the experience on building infrastructure company, like archive and in your previous experience um and so 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 you guys have done how many deals have you guys done so far when did you start uh we started april officially april 2021 but i think we started like doing some deals march 2021 mm -hmm. probably we've done 45 companies oh wow yeah that's um a lot. yeah some like the most like, yeah, I think we obviously like all our companies, but like I mentioned Alchemy, that's like a pretty good like public mark. Um, some of the like, canonical examples that 
like in terms of infrastructure, there's a company called Manifold, Manifold.xyz. They power, it's like a really cool NFT infrastructure software platform. They power um, some of the top artists in the space. And like, it's very rare. I mean, they're straight up like EBITDA profitable, like literally the money that they got. <laughs> that when we gave them like they have like more like much more of it so like awesome um good work guys um yeah like a recent company that we're excited about is a company called osmind uh it's a electronic health record for um psychiatric patients and i think mental health is like something that both jake and i think are super important i think they're pretty forward leaning in when psychedelic therapy becomes legal, like being forward leaning there. Um, and I think there's like so many different plays with essentially like text, mental health chat that like are multi-billion dollar companies, I'm not gonna name names. I'm like, they all seem like kind of commoditized, but like when you're actually, you know, being a later diva, which is which I think Ozmine's doing with their data, uh, I think it's super exciting there. Um, so just to give you a little bit of a taste yeah. that um, we're like, I think some of the misconceptions like, oh, you guys must be doing a lot of like NFTs and consumer deals. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like, no, like I think we're here like actually having a sophisticated point of view and what we think are good markets, good business models, and what, like things that we would be proud of as being early backers and supporters when we look back on like some of the companies we invested like 10 years down the line. Yeah, and, and it's all about having like a viewpoint and a thesis about what you want to go after and where you want your focus to be, right? You can't, like if, if you open up and say, we're investing in literally everything, there's a million opportunities, right? And I think having the experience that you've had in terms of like building a D2C brand, building an enablement layer and focusing on a, DC, uh, on a, on a VC fund, those are all like different entities that are all like the experiences are all woven together but like they they all serve different customer segments right so um i i, I think that like that's a really thoughtful way to to be a, approaching it and having a strategy for each right like the customer that is like drinking hbmn isn't the same one that's like you know like trying to get a brand deal from you guys doing the like through the anti it's like a different sort of thing right um so anyway but so what else is what, what else is on your mind? I know that's uh, that you're, you're covering a ton from all these different things. But what about your day to day? What, what, are, you, what are you doing for fun uh, around Miami? What's what, what's that been like? Yeah, look, I, I think I feel very fortunate to like have infrastructure and set up where uh, it really tickle my intellectual interests and like just meet awesome people like building the future. Right. So I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. But then I think the backdrop of Miami is like I've been getting more into tennis. So just do some morning tennis sessions. I think one thing that's interesting about Miami is that no one wakes up early here. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like if I'm like waking up to go hit at 8 a.m., I'm like literally on, I'm like yeah. on point. And like 8 a.m. for like New York or SF's like, ah, okay, whatever. But like here in Miami, you're like, oh man, you're, you're on top of your game. Um, and then, uh, I don't know. I, I think just like just so much like event flow coming through Miami. So there was a you know music festival, ultra didn't necessarily didn't go to it, but just like you know some of the uh, ancillary events, say hi to friends, go out, enjoy some music. Um, 
It's NFT. Isn't week. NFT weeks coming this up or week, something? Think, and then there's like a tech week. And then, and then Miami then... Tech Week, I think it's next week. I don't even know. I don't yeah, so track, I think it's like, yeah. it's just awesome because like, like people are coming to you, coming to yeah. us. So, uh, yeah, overall, I'm just very happy about like you know, all of us somewhat being recent transplants. But, um, you know, what, what can I complain about? It's like, yeah, there's not really good Asian food. There isn't. It's, like, it's that's, wild. Like, it's real. Like, I need to put it out there. Like, yeah. we need more. Yeah. No, it's, it's that's a, that's real I talk. I, I, I was I was just on the West Coast and uh, and with my mom and she's like, "Yo, do you want to go get some Asian food?" I was like, "Yeah, yes. like let's do that while I'm here because I've like I, you can get great suit, you can great get great Japanese in in Miami, but like in terms of like other Asian cuisine, I've been little, trying to find lacking. the best ramen possible, and I went to a place that was like five stars, and I was like, "This is not five stars." <laughs> Like I went to Austin last week and they had like way better ramen. I'm like, there has to be good ramen in Miami. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, and I think it's like, yeah, exactly. I think like the food bar is very low here. Come on, like I think if you've been from New York or LA or SF, like, you know what good food is. The um, Cuban or Puerto Rican food, at least I get that from like, you know, I miss the Puerto Rican food back home, but at least I get Cuban food here. In Austin, all you get really is tacos. So at least there's more <laughs> diversity. Look, I, like I like my Lomo Saltado and some of that stuff, but like <laughs> yeah. I need I need some variety, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, totally. And then maybe it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, like it's interesting. Like it's definitely like flashier, louder in Miami, but like, hey, I think that's like a great thing, right? Like in SF, it's almost like too much constraint. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's very America in, in, in Miami where like the yeah. diversity is great. I think the openness is great. Like, I feel like just, it's like great where you can like have very different political opinions where like in SF it's very, very, California, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's okay. like, that's what yeah. we gotta talk about. Where it's just like, okay, like a lot of people with a lot of different opinions and it's like, hey, like. Like if you have a flashy car here because you can afford it, it's not like, you're not like, why are you like driving a flashy car or something? Like it's totally acceptable that yeah. you worked hard for it. Whereas like an SF, it's probably like really different. No, which I think it's like, like, again, like I don't care about anyone's personal taste, but I think it's great that people can do it. Yeah. Right? Right. It's like, oh, wow, I've seen a lot of ice here. Like I didn't, re I never realized <laughs> ice is like a real thing. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, like people are wearing like Cuban chains with like, oh, like that's a thing. And it's like, you're not just like a rapper on a music video. You're just like out at a restaurant in ice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Like, this is yeah. an interesting yeah. city. Like, are you a celebrity? No, you're just like a random dude who's yeah. like, that, that's how you express yourself. Good for you, man. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it's it's been fun. And I think like a lot of the critique is like, oh, like how could anyone work in Miami? But like, I, I find myself being super productive here. It's like you said, you like wake up, have a little bit of a life before, um, you know, the work comes at you and you're managing all your different projects. And then, you know, it's, it's easy. It's also like just easy enough to like get together with people. Like the fact that we can like do this in person, right? Like it's 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 something where people can actually like come together get together uh workshop and do different things so yeah it's been it's been super fun so jeff how can people um keep up with you uh on socials uh where can people find you and learn more about you get in touch etc yeah happy to get in touch uh active on twitter and instagram at jeffrey Wu g-e-o-f-f-r-e-y-w-o-o -O. uh say hi Awesome. Sweet. Well, thank you for being here with us today. This was awesome. Hey, appreciate the time.